ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Coming up on this episode of the Golf Central podcast, we're going to look back on the week that was at the Farmers Insurance Open, a, a somber Sunday with the death of NBA superstar Kobe Bryant. But we're going to break down all the action and also look forward to this week and the Waste Management Phoenix Open. But uh, first, welcome into the Golf Central podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it, the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. And with that, as I said, I'm Will Gray. We're going to be joined in a, in a minute here by senior writer Rex Hoggard. But first, I'm with Ryan Lavner. And, and Lav, just your overall thoughts on, on certainly a, a surreal and, and somber Sunday out there at Torrey Pines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just an unimaginable tragedy. An NBA legend, just 41 years old, leaving behind three daughters and a, and a wife. Um, it was just unbelievable to see it play out in, in real time, too, at a, at a sporting event, wondering, you know, do these players know? Do the caddies know? And we're going to have Rex Hoggard on, and him just getting the, the eerie vibe out there was just had been unbelievable. I was really impressed by how articulate the PGA Tour players were in all of their scrums afterward with with reporters you know they're digesting news that they just learned probably in the in the scoring area um to be able to put um kobe's life and, and legacy in perspective just few, a few minutes after learning um of the tragedy was was really impressive and i'm, I'm curious to get rex's thoughts as well yeah i certainly think that it, it speaks to the cross sport impact that kobe had and there's a, probably only a handful of guys that whose death would have had that significant of an impact on PGA Tour players. I think Rex uh, dug up the nugget. There were 13 players in the PGA Tour media guide that listed Kobe as their favorite athlete. That's how much of an impact that he had on this generation growing up, seeing him playing in L.A. and all that. But without further ado, we, we do bring in Rex, who was out in San Diego at Torrey Pines all week, and, and he was on the ground Sunday as this news kind of developed and then enveloped the entire tournament. Rex, thanks for, for joining us and, and just watching. Walk us through, for, for those of us that, that weren't on the grounds in San Diego, what was that like in those couple of hours as the news started to dissipate, started to be confirmed, and then you started to wonder who knows what as a, as a big golf tournament plays out? I think Lab got it right. I think surreal was kind of the vibe on the property. And 
you could hear people in the crowd talking about it. It was a little surprising to me that when we finally got a chance to talk to players, and, and you're absolutely right, most of them found out in the scoring area. Uh, Tiger Woods himself found out that Caddy Joe LaCava told him as he walked off the 18th green. And Joe knew before that, but yeah, and Tiger's playing for history, really. He was playing for his 83rd PGA Tour victory. That would have been the all-time record. And uh, I think Joe made the right call and keeping it to himself until after the fact. But uh, Tiger's reaction was, was what you would expect. It was He kind of did a double take and hit him with the, what are you talking about? Because those two were very close. I mean, I don't think you could really put it into context, that relationship. I think hearing Tiger talking about how they developed. If you look at their career, they essentially mirrored each other. They both started in 1996. That's when they turned pro. That's when Kobe was drafted. About 2000 is when they hit their competitive stride and, and really started to do special things. And they they both sort of peaked on in their respective sports, and they also had their issues on and off the golf course injury-wise. And it was just fascinating to hear Tiger talking about his relationship because I truly believe Kobe is one of those few people that Tiger can probably – relate to as far as what it takes to be that ultimate athlete well you have a great article on golfchannel.com kind of exploring that relationship and i think you're right it's not only that that tiger understood kobe but it's that kobe understood tiger and you get up to that you know one percent of one percent of elite and transcendent athlete and it is hard to find a peer that really understands what you're going through and, and walks in your shoes for for a season or or a decade or, or what have you but uh you know, it, it, it was fascinating to see Tiger, as you said, react in real time and kind of start to digest this. But you immediately, it seemed, he, you understood how much of an impact not only the news had on him, but, but Kobe specifically had on him as, as they were growing up together. Oh, absolutely. And, and what I found fascinating talking with other players as they came off the golf course, and, and there were plenty of fans. I mean, Max Homa, for example, he's an L.A. kid. He's been a Laker fan his whole life. I mean... Kobe was one of those guys he idolized. He's one, you know, Max was one of those 13 players who listed Kobe as his ultimate athlete. But I think it went beyond that. I think talking with him, there was a connection that not just Tiger made with him, but I think there's a connection that a lot of players make with the way Kobe sort of transited that competitive balance, the way he always wanted to be a little bit better. I mean, Rory probably said it best when he told the anecdote, and we all know it, about Kobe making his team wait on the bus while he stayed in the gym and, and shot jumpers after after a loss. And it, he was showing them what it takes to win, and I think that sort of trickled down to the players who grew up idolizing him. And it was fascinating the way he bridged sports. Yeah, the thing that I, I really liked about, about your piece, Rex, was that I think MJ has always been the easy comparison with Tiger in terms of generational talent, larger-than-life personality. Um, but Kobe probably fits Tiger's um, competitive DNA better. Um, just their insane work ethic, um, the will to win. You know, I don't think anyone looks at, at Kobe yesterday, the, the scoring and the, and the five titles and the 18-time uh, NBA All-Star, but no one's ever looking at Kobe in terms of efficiency numbers and, you know, getting real deep into the metrics. And I don't think people, when, when Tiger's career is over, they'll be looking at that Either they're not going to be looking at his strokes gain numbers. They're going to be looking at his his majors, his PGA Tour wins, um, kind of his gritty performances, whether it's the 08 U.S. Open or, or what he did um, last year at the Masters coming back from all he went through physically, uh, emotionally, and, and spiritually. Um, do you think he's closer to MJ or do you think he's closer to, to Kobe? I think mean, it's a good, good analogy right there. And there was a sort of gritty – kindred spirits between the two of them and, and you just brought up half that example 2008 
U.S. Open at Torrey Pines, of course. I mean, I really feel like Tiger feels like that's the benchmark of his career. And there's been a lot of benchmarks. But when he looks back, and we joke about it, but he won a U.S. Open on one leg. I mean, let's face it, he he was injured that week. He really shouldn't even have been playing. And yesterday when we asked him, you know, about what made Kobe special, he went to Kobe's moment, you know, Kobe's 2008 U.S. Open, which is he blew out his Achilles and then hobbled to the free throw line back in 2013 and made the free throws. And Tiger just was in awe over that because that's what Tiger would do, right? I mean, that's what his DNA demands. And he saw the same thing in Kobe. And you you have to wonder how close they really were. It didn't sound like they were texting each other every night before they went to bed. But I do think there was sort of this relationship between the two of them that, that sparked very, very young and persisted over the course of their careers that was special, that was beyond what you might get that Tiger probably gets with other athletes. Well, there was a golf tournament that played out in and around this news as it broke uh, Sunday afternoon. Mark Leishman shooting a great 65 to win, but but the focus certainly this week was on Tiger as he made his first competitive start of the new year. Came close to victory number 83, but it's going to have to wait at least a couple more weeks. He finishes tied for ninth after a final round 70. Rex, what are your overarching thoughts on, on this first start of Tiger? It certainly seems like he's trying to ease his way into things. The goal, as always, is that second week in April, but this has to be considered a pretty good start. Yeah, I think he was optimistic. I mean, we actually, there was not one question asked about his game or his round yesterday, which shows you kind of the way the narrative was going towards Kobe. But uh, what he said earlier in the week was very, very telling. We all know he went to the new driver, the new sim driver. And hearing him talk, hearing people around him, he was able to pick up some speed. And what you saw over the course of four days was kind of this three-quarter swing. And yet he was still hitting it plenty far enough. And I think he's happy with the, the, the new golf ball that he has. The one flaw that, that you saw, and, and I think we've, we've seen this the last two years, and it's something he's going to probably focus on, is his wedge play is not probably what he wants it to be. And I used the example Saturday afternoon on the 18th hole. Not an easy wedge shot, but he had no business flying it over the green into the bunker, and he ends up scrambling for par. But it was kind of a momentum killer, and I think that was one area that Tiger talked about that he wanted to focus on. But we keep going back to this idea of, of what does a 44-year-old Tiger fall back on, and it's hitting the ball in the fairway. It's hitting what he would really call that, that little baby cut sort of bunting it out there is the words I think he used and letting his, his iron play really stand out. And that's what he did all week long. I think what, what really stood out to me, Rex, is that, you know, we've, we've covered this Torrey Pines event, the three of us um, combined over the last 10 years. And it kind of seemed like Tiger had been easing into the, the new year. He wasn't as sharp coming out of the holidays as he was probably in his prime. We saw, you know, he didn't have a top 20 finish besides 2000, uh, 13. 13 his his last week he, he had one top 20 fish and, and that was it and this time he was just so much sharper it seemed like he really picked up where he left off at, at Royal Melbourne and I was trying to find a stat that kind of justified exactly what my eyes were, were telling me and that boy he's he you know he really doesn't have the big miss anymore you know he's, he's if he did miss he was just in a fairway bunker he was just barely in the rough there is a stat called distance from the edge of the fairway Tiger led that stat by almost five feet. That's pretty good. He was he was leading the Farmers Insurance Open in distance from the edge of the fairway. That essentially means that he's not hitting those you know fifty yard slices, those those wild one handed finishes anymore. He's right there and on a course that's going to be more forgiving. Obviously, the the rough at at Torrey Pines is some of the most penal that you're going to find on the PGA Tour. Torrey Pines is the hardest 
fairway to hit on the PGA Tour statistically. For him to be able to do that, that was the most encouraging thing to me. If he's hitting at 300, 305 with a little baby cut and keeping it in play, Rex, I mean, win number 83 can't be very far away. I wouldn't think so. And I think everyone thinks at this point it's a foregone conclusion as long as he stays healthy. What he was able to do at the Zozo last year to get number 82 is just kind of proof of that, where if he shows up and he's on his game, I think to your point, he was particularly sharp with his short game around the greens. And and the driving is fascinating to me. I was walking with him during the Pro-Am on Wednesday, and we were on the 10th hole, and he had hit his second shot into the park five and he turned around and he watched Roy McIlroy was on the tee he wanted to see what Roy was going to do and he wanted to see if Roy was going to take the bunker on on the left which is about a 310 yard carry of course Roy does because he's Roy right that's what he does and Tiger just sort of shakes his head and I don't have that anymore it wasn't aggravation it wasn't he was smiling he was just making a statement that yeah I can't do that like he kind of turned to people to Joe Lacob and some other people around him and I'm going to have to play this hole a different way he's got that 305 shot when he wants it but I think he's becoming much more comfortable with something a little dialed back from that, where he knows he can just get it in the fairway. And no one is better with their long irons in the game than Tiger Woods. Just dialing it back, just like the rest of us. One, one swing at a time here. Uh, one more, Rex, before well, we let you still, go. Still wants to hit bombs. Yeah, yeah, you've got the 305 shot in there. Uh, one more before we let you go. You mentioned Rory. Uh, I, I wondered whose Sunday was more surprising between he and John Rahm. Rahm certainly was in, they're both in the final group. Rahm's in the lead, ends up rallying for, for second place, but they both got off to horrific starts on, that, on the front nine, which is the place where you're supposed to capitalize on Torrey South. And then they both started to come back a little bit. But, but which one left you scratching your head a little bit more on Sunday? Probably Rory, just because he had been so sharp. I, I know he, he kind of had his ups and downs throughout the course of the week. And, and look, he hung in there. I mean, he got off to just a terrible start with three bogeys, I think, through his first four holes and, and turned it around. But uh, the expectations were a little bit higher because this seems like a perfect golf course for him when he's sort of in that full flight mode. And he's probably at that point right now where I, I don't I don't know how ready he really was when he showed up. I mean, he, he spent the last couple of days a lot like Tiger testing some new equipment. He was, he was showing off the, the blisters on the fingers and everything. So you knew he'd put the work in, but I just don't know if he was quite where he needed to be. But he sort of saw the same thing from Rory last year on the West Coast, where you know he had an opportunity in L.A. and didn't get it done and had an opportunity in Mexico and didn't get it done. And then he ends up going on, going on and being player of the year. So there's no alarm bells. But, yeah, I was surprised. And a player of that caliber, when you get that close to the league, you would expect him to – at least make a play for it. And he really wasn't a factor late on the back nine. Well, Rex Hoggard, I appreciate the, the insight as, as a man on the ground who was there for, for one of the more surreal, as you said, Sundays that we've had on the PGA Tour in quite some time. Rest up. I'm sure you'll be back at it before too long. But I uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks, boys. Well, Lav, uh, Rex seems to think it was Rory. I kind of feel like it might have been Rom. It was, if, it was if absolutely John Rom. If we're trying to see which which one left us scratching our head more, uh, certainly. I mean, he was he was even money to win the tournament, coming in with a one shot lead. Uh, it was he was he was a clear favorite, but but just the the start and and four over through the first five holes. Yeah, just just the butchering the third hole, which is not the place where you think you would be dropping shots. But uh, what was your your overall take from Rom? Yeah, Sunday? that that was. By far the the biggest surprise to me is the way that John Rahm played with the with the fifty four hole lead. You know he's the number three ranked player in the world. He's won ten times around the globe, but there seems to be something missing. And I think most players are more comfortable when they're in pursuit. And John Rahm showed that in the final round that he was more comfortable 
when he'd seemingly blown the tournament and he could just try and rip off as many birdies as possible. Something doesn't quite match with John Rahm when he gets into the final round. You look at his PJ Tour record, he's only won three times. Only, I say. Yeah, only he's that's... only one, but for a player of his yes. caliber who's won time, 10 times around the globe, three times is not that many, including one of the times with, with was with Ryan Palmer. In a team Devil's event. Advocate would say he hasn't won on the PJ Tour because he's been busy winning on the European Tour. It's not like he's gone through droughts. He's, he's yes, but won he, a he's lot. also putting in a full schedule on the PGA Tour. Okay, and so for the third-ranked player in the world, you would expect a little bit more. And he just hasn't he just hasn't done it in the in the final round when he's been in that 54-hole position. I put in the Monday scramble. This was his second 54-hole lead, first coming last year at the Players' Championship when he blew up in the final round and then finishing T12. Other than that, he was T2 a couple times, ended up finishing outside the top three. Uh, There just seems to be something lacking when he gets in that position. He's so close from going on an absolute tear. His worldwide results since the U.S. Open are absolutely remarkable. But there's something to be said, the fact that he's never won a tournament without shooting 68 or better in the final round. He's not really the type of guy who's going to grind out a win. He's going to absolutely light it on fire and blow you away, and he wasn't able to do that yesterday at Torrey Pines. To be fair, he has blown away some elite fields in the past, and, and he certainly has that extra gear that only a few guys do. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that you and I as writers, when we're not on site, we'll kind of go through the night of or the morning after. We'll go through some of the quotes and see what some of the reporters asked of of the players. And one that just caught me absolutely scratching my head with John Rahm is he said – he thought he was one shot back playing the 18th hole. He's in, the, he's in the last group playing the 72nd hole. He said, I did not look at the leaderboard again after I made the putt on 17. So he went to 18 thinking he's one shot back. And he said, well, the crowd didn't really react much to Mark Leishman finishing. So I thought he made par. In fact, Leishman made birdie. So Rom needed Eagle to make the playoff. He has a two putt birdie. He goes to caddy Adam Hayes and, and Adam says, hey, nice try. And John says, what do you mean? We're getting ready for a playoff. He had no idea that he was actually two shots back. Now, he said he would not have done anything differently on how he played the 18th hole. He did hit the green in two, left himself a, a long eagle putt, but very similar, very to, the similar one, to the one that he made three right, years that ago. Right, that he made to win for the first time. But but that's a fascinating look into how he was going about things. Again, he's in the last group. It's not like there's players behind him that he needs to, to try and chase. The tournament is ending as he finishes the the final hole. So it was a little surprising to me for him in that position to not know exactly where he was and what he needed to, to at least make a playoff. It just seems like competitive negligence. I mean, we've we've been at a Torrey Pines. There are massive leaderboards. They yeah. are impossible to miss on the 17th and 18th hole. How do you just not have a short conversation on the 18th hole like, Hey man, let's let's get a let's get a birdie here and or, or let's let's get an eagle here and, and get into this playoff. Like how do you how do you not have that conversation whether you're well, on no, the right, so or, fair, or you're in your second shot? So you're Leishman, what's happening. Right. Leishman's in the group in front of them. So you can't really do anything on the tee, but once you're in the fairway, you should be able to you're watching what's going on. And and as John said, he said the crowd didn't really react, so I thought Leishman made five. In fact, he had made a pretty routine birdie. So uh, <sighs> I agree. It's a tough spot to be in. You you add that with the European tour in Dubai the the morning in the morning on Sunday when Christian Bazudenhut is leading the tournament is about a hundred yards away just needs to make par in the last hole spins a wedge back into the water because he thought he needed birdie. This is a PSA to to pro golfers. Hey, on the seventy second hole, it might help to know where you stand in the golf. Just tournament. on the back nine in general, yeah. don't even, you don't even have to wait until eight. Just it's it's competitive negligence to not know where you stand in the golf tournament. How you stand on the leaderboard should inform the decisions that you make on the back nine of a tournament. There's no doubt about that. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me that 
a, a, certainly a player of, of Rom's caliber, yeah. allowed himself to be put in a scenario where he didn't know. I feel like there are situations like this that pop up from time to time. The one that always I hearken back to is Jesper Parnovic at Turnberry against Nick Price in the Open in 94 when, when he blew the last hole. But but I feel like there are many more cases of this where it's like, wow, the player didn't know where he was than a player coming out and saying, hey, man, I looked at the leaderboard. I wish I didn't. because because yes, I absolutely th- quicked. And, right. Yes. So uh, it, it was it was certainly an interesting look uh, under the hood of, of John Rahm, who, as you said, you know, did rally back after that horrific start. He he gave himself a chance when, with six or seven holes to go, it looked like he wouldn't have a chance. But uh, second place finish, he's still at number three of the world. The gap between him and Rory and Brooks Kepka continues to narrow as uh, as Rom is playing in in Phoenix this week and Brooks headlines the field in Saudi Arabia. Rom can actually get to number one in the world this week if he wins at the Phoenix Open and and Brooks Kepka finishes outside the top four. In Saudi Arabia, he finished in a tie for 57th last year. So it's it's not an improbability that that Rom can actually get to number one before Rory does. It's a it's a scenario where the number one rankings up for grabs across two tours this week. This is kind of a, a two screen week for for golf fans. You've got a, a decorated field in Phoenix. You've got Rom, Justin Thomas, uh, Bryson DeChambeau are all playing at Waste Management. But then you have a lot of of uh, big names going to Saudi Arabia, including Brooks. Defending champion Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, who remains lost. Uh, Patrick Reed is also playing among the the notable Americans, and Sergio Garcia is going back for his his mea culpa tour, and hopefully he won't get disqualified this time. But uh, just w- what are your thoughts? Where's more of your attention going to be this week? Uh, well, I, th- I think it's fortunate that we can have the Saudi Arabia event in the morning, and then we can turn our attention. I know you're going out to, to Phoenix, and we can mm-hmm. look at that uh, when coverage begins in the afternoon. For me, it's got to be a football game Sunday evening. I heard here. about that. Yes. Unfortunately, the golf will be over unless it's going to be another Hideki playoff that <laughs> lasts forever. You watch your mouth. <laughs> uh, my my focus um, in Saudi Arabia, yes, it'll be on Brooks, but I think he's just trying to gear up for, for April. For me, it's it's Dustin Johnson. Um, we really haven't seen him all that much over the past six months, obviously, because of the, the knee surgery. He came back at Kapalua, finishing a tie for seventh, um, which was certainly an encouraging sign. But he, to me, it felt like he was just going to go on an absolute tear this year. Um, and I'm curious to see how he's going to play as a defending champion in Saudi Arabia. There's there's a lot to play for this year. He's fallen all the way to fifth in the world ranking. He's maybe not a given anymore for the U.S. Olympic team, which would have seen un- yep. unfathomable um, a year ago. I expect him to play well this week, and I expect him to have a, a big bounce back year and really solidify himself as you know the second or third best. American, depending on what Justin Thomas does. So I'm, I'm curious to see how DJ plays this week in particular. So my interest on, on both events are, are on two guys who are in free fall. One, we talked about Phil Mickelson last week to a certain extent, but another missed cut at Torrey Pines at his hometown event. Just couldn't get it going. Any- Seven of 28 fairways. That's not good. And, and he reversed it. He actually played decent on the difficult course and then couldn't make the birdies on the north course when he needed to shoot you know one or two under to at least make the weekend so he starts the year with back-to-back missed cuts for the first time as a pro he's going to defend next week at pebble beach he really just kind of needs something in a positive direction just to just to get mentally set and, and start moving in, in, a, in a positive way and so i'm interested to see if if the trip to saudi arabia is what it's going to take he's he's leaving swing coach andrew getson at home so it's just going to be him and and tim mickelson his brother are going to be out there and and maybe a, a change of scenery is going to do it. And the other one at, at uh, TBC Scottsdale that I know you noted this is Jordan Spieth, who for the first time since 2013, when he was a rookie, has fallen outside the top 50 in the world ranking. Finished 55th this past week at Torrey Pines, had a two-over round in the final round, didn't earn any points for that, so he dropped from 45 to 51. And you and I both know
know how how perilous it can be once you get outside that top 50 cusp. Schedule starts yes. not so being in your own hands. He is not currently exempt for the WGC Mexico tournament, which if he gets back into the top 50, he'll get in. But you start missing that, and then you miss out on the free points there, and you drift a little further. And now you're on the cutoff to make the match play in his, in his hometown of Austin. And so, or not hometown, but home state. Uh, so it, it can be a slippery slope for a guy who, who for years clearly has, has ridden a hot hand. When things are going well with Jordan Spieth, they go really well. And when things go a little south, they can go south in a hurry. I mean, can you imagine five years ago, Jordan Spieth was a couple swings away from potentially winning the Grand Slam in, yep. <laughs> in 2015. And now we're talking about a, a guy who isn't even the top 50 in the world. And I was encouraged with his start at Torrey Pines. He actually played pretty well on the south course. And then he exhibited some of the exact same signs that have plagued him over the past couple of years. The weekend scoring, he, he shot 73-74. Uh, more erratic driving. He was 59th in strokes gained off the tee. He didn't hit enough greens. He was 75th in greens in regulation. Yeah, those are the three problems that have plagued him over the past couple of years. The reason why he hasn't won since July 2017, he kind of reverted back to his old ways. And and look, I I still think he's going to get it back. I, I I really do. Someone who reached those heights, he's he's been a winner his entire life. But man, we got to start seeing something eventually, or or hope just has to be, has has to start dwindling. It has to. Yeah. It's just it's just natural because we. We haven't seen enough signs of progress with his long game to, to think that a breakthrough is around the corner. Yeah, it is difficult to continue to go at it month after month, and, and he keeps saying the right things. When it takes, he takes a short break, he takes a long break, whatever it is, he comes back, he says, I'm refreshed, I, I'm renewed, I have this great approach. And then the results, not only, as you said, the, the scores are similar, but the patterns within the rounds are so similar, and, and the flaws continue to, to creep up in the same places. He says that he's playing the long game here, that it's not about getting results right now, that he, he feels like he's on the right track, and that eventually he'll get those results. But when you start, as you mentioned, start creeping outside the top 50 in the world and the schedule doesn't become something that you want to have and you know, you're know you forced to play other events to try and get back inside the top 50, and he's, he's such a popular player, not just with fans but with media as well, that every single round he plays, he's going to be asked, you know, hey, why, why did you shoot 74 today? Or, boy, your, your driving still is, is, is pretty erratic, you know. What's going on? What are you working on? When do you think it's going to get better? I mean, that just has to has to wear on you. And now that the season's begun, he he had months to figure it out. Now that the season's begun, there's no hiding. It's not like he can go take a, a month or two off to continue to work on his game. He's he's going to have to be exposed, and yep. all of his flaws are are there for everyone to see. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, the action at Torrey Pines, but there was another uh, significant event in Dubai. Lucas Herbert ends up winning in a playoff, but I want to get your thoughts on on Bryson, who not necessarily stole the show, but he was in the spotlight coming in as the defending champ. Uh, you know, the the Hulk and bulk approach was on on display. He's driving greens from 375 yards away, swinging out of his shoes, and then he's tied for the lead on the back nine, looking like he's in position to go back-to-back, gets a slow play warning on the 10th hole, kept his, his his wits about him, but then ends with four straight bogeys to drop from a share of the lead into missing the playoff by four, which your overall take on Bryson in Dubai. Big picture, I think we should start here, big picture, I think it was very encouraging that he so quickly thrust himself into contention with this new body and swing. I, I really do. I mean, what is this, four, four yeah. events, three three stroke play events, uh, or I- individual events, I, I should say, to get himself in the mix, Ty Lee with four holes to go, very impressive. I think he could take a lot from that. However, 
that final hour also exposed the weaknesses that he currently has in his game. With this new bulk, he he's said that he's he struggled to kind of harness all of that newfound power. And so he absolutely needed to find the fairway, 15 is a par 3, but he needed to absolutely find the fairway on 16, 17, 18 to give himself a chance to make birdie, and he wasn't able to do it. Drove it in the rough each time from there, missed the green, and then, so that's one issue. Yeah. Couldn't have, didn't, does not have the fairway finder uh, that he had over the past couple of years. And secondly, he's never been a great chipper and pitcher of the golf ball, and that was exposed because now that he's bigger, he's devoid of feel, he's always looked wooden on his chip shots, and, and now even more so, he, he's, he's lost touch mm-hmm. around, on and around the greens. Um, partly of that is due to the setup of his wedges, 37 and a half inches, single length irons, standard is 35 inches, but also it's, it's technique. And so does he change technique to deal with this new bulk that he has? Because it's just, he has a zero touch around the greens, which I think is probably going to be tougher for him to address than eventually harnessing all that power and finding the fairway. Tiger's dialing it back. Bryson's dialing it up. Phil's dialing it up. Yes. And to his, to his detriment, yes. yeah. Uh, and then one more before we go. We we spent a lot of time uh, discussing right now. We haven't really talked about the guy who actually won the golf tournament. Mark Leishman shoots a closing 65 on the south course. This is his fifth win on the PGA Tour. An impressive round, an impressive resume. He's up to 20th in the world. Basically, he didn't he didn't hit a fairway either. It's like he had it's three like three or fourteen fairways, and he just putted his mind out. I mean, it was an unbelievable display of irons approaching it, and then certainly making the putts. He went in five holes. He went from four behind to one in the lead instantly. That's it. I mean, what is what is the recipe we say every year for success at Torrey Pines? Boy, you've got to keep gotta find the fairway. That rough is just so penal. There's no way you'd be able to put yourself in position if you're. If you're in the rough all day, and what does he do? He hits three of fourteen fairways, and he still makes eight birdies. Yeah, I mean he he hold over 150 feet worth of putts. He gained more than eight strokes on the field uh, on the greens. It was an unbelievable putting performance. You'd rather have that, of course, than than not. Um, and for him to get his fifth win, I think the Olympics is now back uh, on his radar. That's going to be a very tough team uh, to yeah, make. Sorry, with, Jason with, Day, with Cam Smith, yeah. Jason Day, Adam Scott. Uh, it's getting competitive all of a sudden. But Mark Leishman. I still think he's going to win a major eventually. Um, okay. I think he's too talented of a player. I'm not sure where that's going to be. Yeah, uh, I feel I'm like not, he's I'm in not like sure this, this group is, of... I'm not sure this is like a launching pad for him to win one this year. Um, but I think this just reaffirmed his talent. He can he can win multiple ways. It's not just how, how great of a ball striker he is. I feel like he's in this this bin of like 10 to 15 guys where you say, oh, he's too talented not to win a major. And then you start lining him up and say, well, you know, they, they are only four a year and they he's go quickly. Up, he's getting up there in age. And, and... Uh, he certainly has the talent. Let's put it that way. It would never surprise me to see yes. Mark Leishman win a major uh, given his pedigree and his, his ability. Um, but so this week we've got, we've got Phoenix, we've got Saudi Arabia, and we've got uh, the football game. Yes. Uh, Chiefs and Niners. Give me a pick. I'm putting you on the spot. Chiefs, 27, Niners, 20. Wow, you like the under. This is interesting. I don't okay. know. You're, you're, you do. No, you're, you're a degenerate you gambler. Do. Wow, this is so nice of you. Uh, I like the Chiefs as well. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about the score, but I, I appreciate yeah, I was, it. Yeah, I was, I was not ready to give a score. Apparently, That's I just good. gave a score. You did. It's, listen, I just gave you a score. you got to listen to the heart sometimes when it says. Uh, and then do you have any uh, food thoughts on Scottsdale, Phoenix, the, the, the greater area? I mean, you go to Old Town Scottsdale for sure. That's a good spot. You yes. get some, some eclectic options down there. Uh, not necessarily the the foodie destination of San Diego or 
Carmel next week or L.A. No, and I've I've only I've only covered the Phoenix Open once, and I'll never do that again. Uh, <laughs> by the way, and I'm but I'm going back. I'm to very Sc- excited. But I'm, to be but I'm there. going I'm going back to Scottsdale. Uh, this year, the NCAA championship, of course, we played uh, over two weeks of men's and women's championship in Scottsdale. I look forward to exploring the, the food scenes more. I do know a lot of good Tex-Mex uh, yes. in the area, however. Yes, can't go wrong with that. Well, I am uh, off to Phoenix. I will report back. Please do. It should be, it should be an interesting week. Uh, but Ryan Lavner, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. I'm your host, Will Gray. We're doing this every week. You can get it wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to us now. We'll look forward to uh, talking with you again in a week, and we'll, we'll discuss all that's going on in the world of golf. Thanks for tuning in. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.